The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we are so grateful for those words that we just sang. And I just ask that as we step into this moment where we pause and we open the scriptures, that you would speak into our souls, that you would speak in our midst, that we would hear your words to us, your words of love and affirmation. And may it do something in and through us. May you refresh us. May you make us all new. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so I, uh, there's somebody who comes to the nine o'clock. His name is Ron Harrell. Some of you probably know him. Uh, and one of the things I appreciate so much about him is every time I see him, he asks me the same question. And he always asks, hey, give me the Moses update. So some of you may not know, uh, my name is Wayne Brown. I'm the campus pastor here. And I've got an uh, almost seven-year-old son named Moses. And so every time I see Ron, he's always asking me, hey, tell me more about your son. What's going on with him? Uh, so I, I thought today it might actually be pretty fitting to give you uh, one of the Moses updates that I gave him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I've got a picture to show you. My son has a really fantastic head of hair, and we don't know where it came from, but we just receive it as a gift of grace. And so I got a photo to show you just to give a little context. So uh, that's Moses. Uh, he's four in this picture, but he's getting close to seven. But you can imagine uh, what taming that thing is like sometimes in the morning. And sometimes haircuts have ended in tears. Uh, it's been uh, some traumatic times sometimes. But uh, a few weeks ago, we were getting ready for school, and my wife was uh, helping with hair and everything. And she told him, hey, this morning, if we're going to get your hair under control, we got to cut it. And so she's asking him, is it okay if we take some time to cut your hair? We're in the bathroom. And he kind of pauses and looks puzzled at her and didn't really say anything, but kind of gave a, gave a look that said, I'm going to allow this for right now. You know what I'm talking about? And so he was just kind of paying attention. So she starts just kind of gently cutting out some tangles and some things that were going on. And at one point he figures out what's happening and he can see it in the mirror and he just kind of like grabs his head and he says, oh no, I can't lose my glorious mane. <laughs> and we had the same reaction that you guys had. Uh, we were pretty, I think we were late for school that day because it just derailed all of the getting ready for school. Uh, and you guys know this, right? Sometimes uh, there's a whole TV show on kids say the darndest things, right? Uh, and many of you have stories of kids or grandkids or, or children in your life or just people in your life that they say something and you're like, I'm gonna never forget that. That sometimes people say things and it actually sticks. And it, maybe sometimes it even goes into our soul and it does something to us. And what we're gonna step into and we're gonna look at a passage in the scripture where Jesus says something and it does something really remarkable and really powerful. And if you've been with us, or maybe this is your first Sunday here, we've been in a series where we're taking some time to look at some stories in the Gospel of John, where Jesus does some miracles, but John is really particular about this. He doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. And that word that he picks is so intentional, because you came by some signs on your way here today, right? Those signs actually helped you get here. Those signs told you what lane you needed to be in. Those signs told you where you needed to pause and stop, 
or where you need to speed up or where you need to slow down. They pointed the way for you. It's very much like the Mandalorian, right? John is like the original guy saying, this is the way, you know? <laughs> for those of you Mandalorian fans, I have spoken. So um, yeah, but we're going to pause and we're going to take a look because uh, this sign uh, says something more and it's pointing the way for us. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 4. And this is going to be the second sign. And the context here is Jesus has just had an interaction with somebody, uh, the woman at the well in Sychar in Samaria. And this is after he's turned the water into wine, which is the first sign. And so this is where we're going to pick up in John chapter 4. And it says, As Jesus traveled to Cana, the village in Galilee where he transformed the water into fine wine, he was met by a government official. This man had heard a rumor that Jesus had left Judea and was heading to Galilee, and he came in desperation begging for Jesus' help because his young son was near death. He was fearful that unless Jesus would go with him to Capernaum, his son would have no hope. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second because there's some things that uh, you need to understand. If you don't know the geography, there's some interesting things happening here. So Cana, uh, he's going to Cana from Samaria and Sychar. In this day and age, in that time, that was a two-day journey from where he was. So he left and traveled for two days to get to Cana. And as he enters into Cana, there's a man who meets him who's from Capernaum. And Capernaum is another day's journey further from where he's gone, right? So this is the modern-day equivalent of Jesus driving from Corpus Christi to Houston And then when he gets here, somebody from Dallas has driven in and saying, I need you to go to Dallas with me because my son is sick, right? He's asking him, like, I need you to derail whatever else you're doing because I need you to come with me. And it's interesting because it says it's a certain Roman official, right? John is very protective of this person's identity. He doesn't tell us who it is. And he's a part of the other political party from what was common for the Jewish people in that day. Now, it's not quite apples to apples uh, in terms of the way we have Republicans and Democrats in our country. Uh, This would be more similar to if a Canadian party in Canada decided they were going to invade and overthrow us as uh, Americans and then instill their own party, (laughs) right? This is not friendly. This is somebody that is part of the enemy, part of the oppressor. And this person comes to Jesus desperate, begging for help. And so let's pick up and let's see what happens here. So Jesus says to the official, my word is not enough. You only believe when you see miraculous signs. I'm going to stop there too, because there are times in the scriptures where Jesus gets a question from religious leaders, Pharisees, or people in the Jewish community, and they ask him to do a sign. They ask him to do a miracle. And often he will respond with words like, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. So there are maybe some, some of us who, when we hear Jesus offer these words to this man, we may hear it in the same context. But that is not actually what's happening here, right? Jesus is speaking to somebody who'd be considered an outsider. And instead of condemning him and saying, You're, my word isn't enough for you, what he's just naming is the fact that this is so important that I actually want you to be a person who believes, This is an invitation to an outsider saying, this is a really important moment. And what I want for you is not only for your son to be healed, but I want faith to take hold in you. And this is an invitation into that. And Jesus is just naming the fact and saying, I'm going to go above and beyond for you. 
And so let's pick up there. The official says, sir, this is my son. Please come with me before he dies. And Jesus, interrupting him, says, go home. Your son will live. And it says, when he heard the voice of Jesus, faith took hold of him, and he turned to go home. Now, right there, I'm already impressed with the guy. Because I'll be honest, if I travel for a day to get somewhere because I need somebody's help, and it has to do with whether or not one of my kids live, there's no way I'm leaving because I know what's going to happen when I get home. If I get home and my wife is like, you traveled a day to get this person to come, and like, where is he, right? And if I just said, well, he just said it was going to be okay, like that, that answer isn't going to fly at my house, right? I'm impressed with this guy that he, like, he knew so confidently that he was like, yeah, this is going to happen. And look at how this unfolds. It says, before he reached his village, his servants met him on the road celebrating his son's miraculous recovery. And the official asked, what time did this happen? And the servant said, yesterday, about one o'clock in the afternoon. And it says, at that moment, it dawned on the father the exact time that Jesus spoke the words, he will live. After that, he believed. And when he told his family about his amazing encounter with Jesus, they believed too. And this was the second sign that Jesus performed when he came back to Galilee from Judea. That Jesus wanted this person and his whole family to be people who would believe. Now, it's really important that in this context, in the ancient Near East, among Jewish people, when they hear that Jesus spoke something in this location, and that a full day's journey in another location, something happened, there would be all kinds of connections happening in their mind that they would have immediately thought back to places in Genesis where it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was. Or places in Exodus where it says, and God spoke to the people of Israel. That this would have been a sign to them that Jesus was partnering with God in creating and recreating and making the whole world new. But that's part of what John is saying, is that there's something about what Jesus says that actually creates a whole new world. And it's kind of like uh, the words of a famous prophet, um, Albus Dumbledore, where he says, words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. And I think part of what we want to do today is take some time and to really listen and receive some of the things that Jesus says over us, about us, over you, about you. And my hope is that it seeps into your soul and that in hearing it, it actually makes you a new creation. So the first thing, and if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear that Jesus says that you are a dearly loved child of God. This comes up over and over again. I want you to hear me clearly that God is not angry with you. God is not against you. You are his child, and he deeply and dearly loves you. In, in the Gospel of John, the only way that he describes himself is as the disciple who Jesus loved. There's something about Jesus, there's something about God that the more time you spend with him, everything else about you begins to fade away. And the only way you know to describe yourself is that I'm loved. I'm loved by God. And look at the way Jesus describes some things in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he says in Matthew 5.13, you beloved, right? He's going to use that word again and again. You are loved. You are beloved of God. You beloved are the salt of the earth. But if salt becomes bland and loses its saltiness, can anything make it salty again? No, it is useless. It is tossed out, thrown away, or trampled. And you, again, beloved, you are the light of the world. So if there's anything you hear today, I want you to hear that you are loved by God. But there's also something in those two passages, those two verses that Jesus says, and this is a theme that is true throughout the Gospels, where he calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that Jesus is telling all of us that you are more powerful than you think. You have the ability and the capacity to make a difference in the world, and you can actually join God. You can join Jesus in how he's actively creating and recreating the world. You are more powerful than you think. Can we go to uh, those, those passages where it talks about, so here's an example, right? So later in Matthew 5, he says, as you know, long ago, God instructed Moses to tell his people, do not murder. Those who murder will be judged and punished, right? So this harkens back to the, the 10 commandments, right? Don't murder, don't do that. But look at how Jesus connects this. He says, but here is the even harder truth. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be judged for his anger. And what Jesus is saying is that the things that are inside of us, the things that are in our heart, don't just live there. They actually have implications on the world outside of us. That's a little scary, right? And he says, anyone who taunts his friend speaks contemptuously toward him or calls him loser or fool or scum will have to answer to the high court. And anyone who calls his brother a fool may find himself in the fires of hell. And what Jesus is saying is that the words that we speak, you might as well murder someone whenever you speak words that are hateful and spiteful. And some of you know this, right? You, you've experienced this. A few years ago, uh, we were, I was at home with the family, and if it's like it is at your house. When we get everybody together, we start telling stories. And often we tell the same stories over and over again. Does this happen at your house? Because sometimes you're like, oh yeah, let's tell that story again. That's a good one. And then it's about you and it's kind of embarrassing. You're like, no, 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 let's stop telling that one. Can we please forget that and move on? Well, my mom a few years ago told a story that I had actually forgotten. I think I had actually kind of repressed it. Uh, but she told a story about a day when I was uh, about six, kindergarten age. And we were at the house and she came into the bathroom upstairs and she found me standing on a stool in front of the mirror and just tears everywhere, just crying. And she didn't know what was going on, but then she looked and she saw that my cheeks were just flushed, bright red, just so like glowing, right? Like hot. And she was just concerned, hey, what's going on? And we got to talking and what I told her was these freckles, they won't come off, right? And what you need to know is I was a pretty freckle-faced kid um, and uh, my mom loved it, thought it was so cute. But what had happened earlier that day at kindergarten on the playground in Fort Collins, Colorado at Barton Elementary, like if I could pull it up on a map, I could show you where I was standing, right? Uh, there was a girl named Whitney uh, who I liked, right? And let's just say she rebuffed my affections. Um, and the word ugly was thrown out. And can I say to you, like those words went somewhere in. And even my mom, my mom told the story I knew, oh, I remember that day. I know what happened, right? Because sometimes the words we say or the words that we hear from others, they go in and they take root. 
And there's work to do to undo that. But the flip side is too, and you guys know this, that the words we speak also have the ability to create life. And I'll never forget um, a little over a year ago when I was talking to Pastor Chris and he, uh, you know, about every six months, somebody would call and be like, hey, we want you to come back and come work. And I was talking to him on the phone and he spoke a blessing over me that said, like, you were made for this. And it created something in my soul to say, yes, this is the time. This is it. That the words we speak also have the capacity to create life. Can we go to that, John? Yeah. Um, Yeah, John 20, that's the one. Uh, And here's a great example of the invitation that Jesus gives us in this. And it says, on that same evening, which was Resurrection Sunday, this is after Jesus has been crucified, after he's come back to life, the disciples are hiding out, and they're scared of the religious leaders and the politicians of the day. It says, the followers gathered together behind locked doors in fear that some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were still searching for them. And out of nowhere, Jesus appeared in the center of the room. And Jesus said, may each of you be at peace. Right? And when he says peace, that word in, uh, in the original language is shalom, which doesn't just mean an absence of violence and war and struggle. It actually means it's speaking into all things have been made right. All things have been made whole. Things are as they should be. May you be at peace. As he was speaking, he revealed the wounds in his hands and side. The disciples began to celebrate as it sank in that they were really seeing the Lord. And Jesus said, I give you the gift of peace. In the same way the Father sent me, I am now sending you. And now he drew close enough to each of them that they could feel his breath, and he breathes on them. And he said, welcome the Holy Spirit of the living God. You now have the mantle of God's forgiveness. As you go, you are able to share the life-giving power to forgive sins or withhold forgiveness. And Jesus gives us that capacity, that ability. And if there's another thing that I want you to hear, I want you to hear, Ecclesia, that all your sins are forgiven. That by the power and authority of the name of Jesus, he declares that over us. And then we are invited to be the same kind of people who go out and find opportunities to speak and reveal that truth, to be a blessing, to say that to others. In the, in the Hebrew tradition, on the eighth day, they would name their kids. And oftentimes they would name them certain things because they believe that this name, this speaking over this kid is gonna, it's gonna create something new. That this idea of the blessing, the words I speak over this child, it's gonna, it's gonna actually help create their future. And there's a passage in number six where Moses, uh, God tells to Moses, I want you to go to Aaron and his sons who are the priests, and I want you to tell them this. And he says, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the Israelites by saying, the eternal one bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The eternal one lift up his countenance to look upon you and give you peace. In this way, they will set my name upon the Israelites and I will bless them. Essentially saying, we're gonna create a new world, a new future together. So Ecclesia, part of what we wanna invite you into is to receive that blessing and then to be the people who speak that blessing over others. 
that when we are met with words of strife or conflict or even hate, that we would be the people who respond with words of love and kindness. And so we're going to come to the table in a few minutes. We're going to pause and celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. But we're also going to have some pastors uh, available here that if you want somebody to just pray that prayer over you, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face turn towards you, give you peace. We're going to have some pastors here that are just going to be there to speak that blessing over you so that you can receive that. And our hope is that as we go out, that we be the people who offer and speak that. And in so doing, we join God in his work of recreating the whole world. That God uses that as a creative force in our city and beyond. Can I pray for you? Father, we are so grateful for the words that you speak, for the words of love and affirmation that you offer time and time again. And we ask that you would give us faith to hear and receive that. And God, we thank you for this bread and for your body that it represents that was broken for us. And we ask that as we eat it today, that your words of love and forgiveness would seep into our bodies, that we would be able to take it in today. And we thank you for this cup, for this juice and this wine, and for your blood that it represents that was poured out for us. And we ask that as we drink today, that words of blessing and kindness would fill up in our souls and overflow so that we could join you today and this week in recreating the entire world around us, that we would be people who speak blessings. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.